batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. I'm your host, Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located over at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. They've got some great food. Make sure to head over there for the last few Bears games of the season and then next season for the Cubs. That is, of course, if you want to watch them. It's been a little disappointing as of late. They've been rumored to have money to spend, and so far have not really spent it. Joining me on this episode is one of our most frequent guests, Marquee Sport Network's very own Tony Andraki. Tony, thank you for joining us today. Hey, no problem, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and you were at the winter meetings this past week um, out in San Diego. Obviously got some better weather than we've had in Chicago, and, and with that came some you know positive thoughts about the direction the Cubs were going. Um, reports were that the Cubs have been given the green light to spend, and they were taking meetings on Trey Turner and Carlos Correa and Xander Bogarts. But since then, it's it's been a little bit bleak. The Cubs did acquire Cody Bellinger and Jamison Tyone early on in those meetings. Um, but since we last had a podcast, Trey Turner went to the Phillies. Carlos Correa went to the Giants. That was very recently on a 13-year, $350 million deal. Xander Bogarts to the Padres, Josh Bell to the Guardians, Kodai Senga, the Japanese pitcher, went to the Mets, Chris Bassett to the Blue Jays, the Cubs' rumored target at catcher Christian Vasquez went to the Twins, Uh, Sean Murphy, another rumored target at catcher, was traded to the Braves, and of course, Wilson Contreras was signed as a free agent to the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Those are obviously only some of the big moves, but those are the ones who the Cubs' names were kind of lingering around. So, Tony, what are your thoughts on all that has transpired and and potentially how disappointing it's been for the Cubs? Yeah, I mean, I certainly understand the disappointment, right? Because, like, they were rumored and linked to all the top four shortstops, and it was something that the Cubs had only embraced and talked about. You know, it's even dating back into the regular season, like, there was conversations from and comments from David Ross or Jed Hoyer and just talking about how they, they had already discussed with Nico Horner the potential to move off shortstop or preparing for that. Um, you know, they weren't telegraphing anything and they weren't saying we're definitely going to sign one of those guys, but the interest in was obvious and apparent and, and there. It's something that they didn't, not only didn't shy away from, but something they talked about. Um, so I definitely understand the disappointment from Cubs fans from the perspective of they obviously haven't signed one and there's only one left. So um, I get that from, you know, from that stance, but like they were never into the Aaron judge market and it just didn't make sense for them to be, to do so. Like they didn't need, you know, right now they just gave uh Seiko Suzuki a five-year deal, obviously last winter, Ian Habs in left field right now. Aaron judge did play a lot of center field last year, but I don't think he's necessarily a center fielder long-term, especially as he ages into his thirties and through the life of that contract. So I don't think that's necessarily what, you know, what the Cubs wanted to do in the market, at least for sure. But a lot of the shortstops do make sense. And, and, you know, some level of disappointment is, uh, is understandable, but I think it's so hard to evaluate something just in the middle of while it's going on. And we don't know what the final roster is going to look like. And I tell you one thing, like the Cubs have more to do. They, they do for sure because they have to, this lineup is not good enough as is. And this pitching staff, particularly in the bullpen still has holes. So I, I think that they, they have plenty of 
plenty of opportunity to sign guys. Um, but some of these big names and some of the guys that to add stars, which the Cubs said they wanted to do, they're obviously running low on chances for that. So I get the anxiety. I get the angst. Uh, I get the disappointment from Cubs fans. But to be honest, like, I do think that the Cubs have earned a level of trust or, or at least let's just evaluate it what the roster looks like going into spring training and not what it looks like, you know, here we are over a week before Christmas and, you know, with three weeks left until the new year, like let's, let's wait and see what happens and how much this roster truly like looks better and, and is improved. Um, but obviously that being said, you know, Dansby Swanson is essentially the only guy out there available that can add some level of star power to this lineup uh, at the moment. Yeah, and and I guess that's fair. It is you know only halftime per se of the off season, but at, at this point the Cubs are trailing a lot of teams around them. Specifically in the National League, there's been tons of spending. The Phillies, the Giants, the Padres, as we mentioned, and of course the Mets as well. The one thing I kind of took took a look at, and I know it was never really in the cards to bring back Wilson Contreras, especially once he became a free agent. But when there was potential for him to get re-signed. Um, we never heard what type of offer was ever, you know, given to Contreras, but it just kind of rubs me the wrong way that, for example, I'm just taking two of the Cubs' targets. Uh, Wilson Contreras and Kodai Senga are going to be making less per year than Cody Bellinger and Jamison Tyone, who the Cubs did acquire. That that just kind of confuses me directionally. Yeah, you know, I think... The short answer to that is is Bellinger and Contreras, and I've actually had this question before, and I get the comparison looking at the two guys, um, but Bellinger's deal is a one-year deal, and really, I mean, I, I think there's, I don't know the exact terms, but I do think that there's like a buyout for next season as well, so really it's a, it's a one-year deal with the potential option. I imagine he probably hits the open market, but that's just because that's what the market was for a 27-year-old former MVP who has obviously fallen on rough times recently, so he wants to recoup some of his value. And the Cubs, I think, probably, I don't know if overpaid is the right word, but, like, I think they gave a guy, you know, if you look at a guy who has hit below 200 combined over the last couple of seasons with some low-power, high strikeout, and, you know, concerning walk rates, and who hasn't been healthy, I think that they, that it wouldn't have been a huge market for him but obviously the Cubs offered him 17 and a half million guaranteed and he took it and you know he has the one-year deal to recoup value I think that was a smart move from the Cubs perspective uh and and I do think that there's potential for there to be value there but there's also very low risk right it's just one year Wilson Contreras is making less annually but it's a five-year deal like he's going to be 35 at the end of it and as a catcher we don't know how he's going to to age or how injuries might catch up to him. I mean, he's missed almost a month just the last couple of years as well with injuries. So, that, but that also happens, right? Like that's why every team needs catching depth. So, I think to compare those two is um, they're just totally different situations. And the Cubs already feel pretty good about their catching situation with Jan Gomes. They love what he brings as a game game manager, game caller, uh, defensively, all of that. Now he's going to be 35, 36 next season. They do need other depth behind him. He obviously does a hit like Wilson Contreras, but the Cubs already felt good there, and they had a clearer hole in center field, so they wanted to add Bellinger to that, and Bellinger is a great upside play who can who can be a very good defender and obviously the potential to put up MVP-type numbers. And then, yeah, with Senga and Tyone, they're a similar age, you know, two right-handers. I think it's really just a matter of, like, 
the great unknown, and that's what Senga is. He could come over and be fantastic, and he has, you know, he dials it up to, like, the upper 90s with his fastball, and he has this amazing split finger and stuff like that. Like, that's a scouting report we've seen, but he's never been in the big leagues, and he's never faced big league pitching, so we don't know exactly how he's going to fare, whereas Tyone has not only faced big league pitching, but he's succeeded very well, and, you know, in the AL East with the Yankees last year, and, and he's number two overall pick. Like, this was the guy drafted in between Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, so he, he really his career has just come down to the fact that he beat cancer once, and he, he has had Tommy John surgery twice, so I think there is a lot of upside there. He's still only 31. I think he's the potential to be, you know, a number two in this staff. He probably will be a number two to start the season. And honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more in the tank that the Cubs feel they can tap into with Tyone. So I think he was a really, really good signing for them. I, I do think, you know, Senga could be a, a good signing for them or for any team. But I think with Senga, it's just more about the unknown. Like, nobody knows what he's going to be. So if you're going to talk about, um, you know, sending out 65 to 75 million dollars for one guy for my money i'd probably want tyone and i think the cubs would agree with that obviously because that's what they did right and and you're right it is apples to oranges kind of comparing the the bellinger contract to what Contreras ended up getting from the cardinals but i guess my my big question and i know you're not jed hoyer so you can answer this (laughs) to the to the best of your ability but if you as an organization is okay spending 17 and a half million dollars a year on in a player who has underachieved the last couple of years, you're essentially taking a flyer on him for a year, maybe two, um, and he's not a part of your long-term plans. Why couldn't they have spent that same amount of money on a catcher who they know really well? It doesn't have to be this offseason even. Why couldn't it have been two offseasons ago, a five-year, $80 million deal to keep him till he's 33, 34 per se, or whatever the case may be. I just feel like that, and and now you open up a hole on your team by letting him go, you know? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I do think that there's a clear hole in the lineup without Wilson Contreras, who hit two for, you know, in the lineup for much of the season. And obviously, even when he wasn't catching and he was healthy, he was DHing. So, yeah, it, it, there's a clear hole in the lineup. And adding Bellinger helps, but it doesn't add a ton to it. And it doesn't fully recoup Contreras' value because this is a three-time all-star starter. Like, we get it. We know how good he is, especially offensively. His arm is a cannon. He's a passionate, energetic player who, like, has always put his body on the line. But to your point about offering the deal a few years ago, I I haven't been in those conversations, but, like, it does take two to tango kind of thing. Um, and I don't know what the Cubs' offers have been in the past or how those conversations have gone with Wilson Contreras. But, yeah, you know, I think that it's possible that he wouldn't have taken a five-year deal uh, a few years ago or, or a last year at this time or whatever, just because he knew that he could get a decent amount of money in the open market. And honestly, like he did good for him, like $87.5 million is a really good market for him. It's uh it's life-changing money for him and his family, especially mm-hmm. given what he's earned so far. So yeah, I think that's it for sure. And to be honest, I think the Cubs just wanted to go a different direction and, and they haven't been super transparent about why and, and getting all into sure. that. But I think that we, we have seen what the Cubs can be without Wilson Contreras, and we saw that last year with Jan Gomes and P.J. Higgins catching. And the pitching staff did really well, and that's not a knock on Wilson Contreras. I just think the Cubs feel that they can they can do what they need to do out of the catcher position 
and defensively and, and game planning wise, and they don't need to pay that premium for the position because I think they they believe that they can get it elsewhere and they understand the importance of depth. But if you look around, I mean, the Astros just won the World Series where Martin Maldonado was their main catcher for much of the year. And then the guy you mentioned before, Christian Vasquez, like he came over at a trade deadline. But still, Maldonado hardly hit at all last year. He was hitting like 160, 170 for most of the year. But he was so good defensively that he was this fantastic player for them. And then, you know, Jan Gomes was part of the, the 2019 Nationals. And like a lot of teams recently have won World Series or been very good without a catcher that uh, that is like at Wilson's level offensively. So I think teams can win without it. And I think the, the Cubs like that potential in the model and, and just the overall like game planning and, and run prevention that they can get from the guys in-house and then obviously adding some depth outside of the organization. Yeah, I think run uh, prevention is, is the key word there. The, the decision to take, for example, a Jan Gomes and a platoon over Wilson Contreras is you were choosing that position to be primarily a run preventing, preventing position as opposed to a run producing position. And I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad move organizationally at all. Yeah, definitely. I, I, honestly, I mean, there are just so few like truly legit offensive catchers out there right now. And, and that's always been the case, right? But Wilson's one of them. And again, he does deserve to get that money that he got. Um, I think, again, just for whatever reason, like the Cubs had him in-house and they were deciding that they wanted to go a different direction and use those resources elsewhere. Um, I don't have that full answer, but it, it seems clear and obvious that that's what they wanted to do. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, obviously they are doing. So they didn't want to invest, you know, almost $20 million or whatever, $17.5 million a year in Wilson Contreras or in the catching position for a guy who's going to be 35 at the end of the deal. They wanted to go this route and, and go with Jan Gomes and go with some of the other guys. And, you know, I, I mean, they were in on Christian Vasquez and there, there are some other depth guys out there. And then they have Miguel Amaya still in the organization who, if, you know, injuries like, had not already disrupted him. We already may have seen him in the majors last season, and uh, maybe you could even see him in the majors this season. So he's a guy who's only 23, and they're still very high on. So I think that was the other thing is like a long-term commitment to the catching position would disrupt anything with Miguel Amaya too, who I think they strongly believe can can be a catcher of the future. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll have to to keep our eye on that as well, but. I'm going to go on my, my little shortstop rant that I sent in, uh, in the family group chat today. So let me know if uh, this is entirely pessimistic or if I'm you know kind of getting somewhere with this. So obviously I think any team paying $300 million for a player is, is pretty crazy, especially if they're going to have a contract that's going to keep them you know on the team until I'm 35 years old. But here's the thing. I, like this summer, for example, I didn't like paying five to six – dollars per gallon of gas but I did it because it would get me from point A to point B and I don't think for example the Padres or the Giants or the Phillies wanted to pay that much but they trusted it'll get them from point A to point B as an organization maybe the back five six years of those deals somebody's hurt or retires or whatever the case may be but the the Cubs right now are essentially saying we don't want to pay that much for gas so we're just not going to drive that's what I'm kind of getting out of this offseason. Um, if the market is dictating those mega deals and the Cubs are afraid to pull the trigger, then it's just a really nice sports car, you know, a 
an organization that has the money to spend in a great stadium and fans that will flock to it any game deciding to keep the sports car in the garage. Yeah, I mean, I like that analogy a lot, and, and especially the gas analogy makes a ton of sense to get you from point A to point B. I think from the Cubs' perspective, if you look at this lineup and you look at this roster and you look at any one of those players, Bogarts, uh, Turner, or Correa, the Cubs are not a Carlos Correa away from being a World Series contender. They're just not right now. So it, adding him to the team, sure, that's awesome. Like, it's great for the fan base. It's star power to the lineup. It's adding a legit, like, scary, fearsome bat in the middle of that lineup as well. That's amazing. And, and it, But it's just one piece of the puzzle and one step. And they have other steps that they need to do. And they, they need to know if Matt Mervis is a guy you know, at DH or first base. They need to know if Brendan Davis and Alexander Canario can be healthy and then come up to the big leagues and also be guys in the outfield and, and be, um, not, if not stars, then like, like valuable players and, and plenty of other guys after that. I mean, some of their young shortstops in the organization are years away, like Christian Hernandez or Ed Howard or Preciado. Like, these guys are years away, like two, three, four years away. And then, you know, some of the other guys, Pete Crow Armstrong is obviously a huge prospect. He's probably a year or two away at least, and that's after, like, a fantastic year. So um, I, they're not one piece away with the lineup specifically uh, from being a World Series contender. That being said, like, yes, at some point you're right. Like, the Cubs do need to go out and, and flex their financial muscles at in some of these, in one of these off seasons, like they need to hand out another contract, just like they did with Jason Hayward seven years ago. And they need to, to go out and keep their homegrown players. And if they're going to be the class in the NL again, that's obviously what they have to do. That's the price of paying and, and living in that case. And like you said, going from point A to point B, that's, that's what you need to do. You got to pay for the gas. I don't know for sure that doing that this year is, is an absolute must, um, but I do think it would have been nice. And I think that saying, you know, all of that, that would have been nice until we saw like this market. Like, I don't, I, I do think that a lot of these deals are going to look bad in a few years from now. And, you know, potentially even more sooner than that, like as much as I like Correa as a player, I've heard amazing things about him at intangibles in the clubhouse and as a leader, he's a 28 year old who averages, you know, 113 games a season because he's already had injury problems and back issues. And, like, you think over the course of a 13-year contract, his back is going to suddenly get better? Like, no, it's not. And we've seen that firsthand with Rizzo here in Chicago yeah. and even in New York. Back issues, like, are degenerative in some, you know, to some sense. And I don't know really what's going on with him or the specifics. But I think there's some major concern about his health and um, obviously concern about how a guy produces. And look at deals like the Miguel Cabrera or, or uh, Albert Poole's deals. Like, they looked fantastic when they first signed and then, Sure enough, you know, by the by the end of the deal, it's like these guys are making a ton of money and, and not necessarily helping their team a bunch and hamstring the team's financial situation. So uh, it, it's it's a tough one for sure. Um, that being said, obviously, like we said, the Cubs do need to do this at some point. At, at some point, they're going to need to spend what the market is and they can't just keep, you know, keep saying that, oh, well, we're not going to pay that much or we think that $5 a gallon is too high for gas. At some point, they're going to have to pay it, like you said, just because that's what it is. So I, I think they will. 
Um, obviously, they still can this winter, right? Like, Dinsby Swenson's still out there. Maybe by the time you and I are talking next on this podcast, maybe we're talking about how the Cubs probably overpaid for Dinsby Swenson, but they got a good player. Like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, um, but I do, you know, I do want to look at the big picture before I evaluate the offseason, and I do also just want to see, like, you know, okay, if not this year, like, what do the Cubs do with the money that they had earmarked for this offseason? Do they use it on extensions for guys like Ian Happ or Nico Horner or Justin Steele or making sure Kyle Hendricks doesn't leave or giving Stroman a deal before, he, you know, so he can't opt out? Whatever it is, is it something like that? Is it shopping in the free agent market next year? Is it trading for players who have, you know, decent contracts like the Cardinals did with Arenado? I, I think there's a lot of options at the Cubs' disposal. Um but sure, right now, like, they're not paying for gas. You're right. Like, to this point, to the point that you and I are talking, they, they haven't paid the market price. I just am also completely stunned at some of these deals, and I'm surprised at what the market price has been. Right, and I think that's, like, the other really interesting part. We're coming off of the pandemic when the game was probably in the worst financial state, you know, in recent history, and now, you know, these players are making $300 million contract. There's 10, I think, 12 players with... $300 million contracts on the table. It's it's crazy to think about. And, you know, like you said, we could be talking in, in two months about how the Giants paid way too much for Carlos Correa or how the Cubs were maybe smart to stay out of that market. But um, that's what the market is. And my question to you is maybe these aren't going to look like good contracts. Is that potentially the fear of, of Jed putting down a, a $12 million, or a 12-year $325 million contract to one of these guys because like in 2018 after they made a few big deals, Hayward, Darvish, Brandon Morrow, Craig Kimbrell, that money kind of disappeared because the contracts weren't that good. Is that maybe the fear? They're trying to shop a little bit smarter? Yeah, I think it's shopping smarter, but to be honest, one of my takeaways from how Jed has handled this offseason and just the last couple offseasons is this seems like a guy who plans on being here for a while. And right. you see some of these moves from owners and, and uh, sorry, from GMs and, and presidents of baseball operations of guys who are trying to save their job or who know that they're probably not going to be here. And I'm not calling out anybody in specific, but like the chances of just the simple likelihood of a guy signing somebody like Correa to a 13 year deal or somebody else in Philadelphia, like Philadelphia has run through managers and GMs and front office decision makers over the last decade and a half, you know, pretty much every couple of years. So like that's still that whoever makes the moves and decisions now, they were still going to be here when Trey Turner is at the end of his contract. Like chances are probably not. And I don't know for sure if, Jed will be either at the length, at the, you know, in 11 years or 13 years. But what I'm gathering from this is this seems like a guy who is planning on being around for a while and has a big picture mindset. You know, he we are going to be entering year three of Jed as the president of baseball operations. But I still think that, like, this is a guy that seems like he, he plans on being around for quite a bit longer and he doesn't want to hamstring himself. And, you know, as much as the Hayward deal brought about many good things for the organization, especially in 2016, I think just the fact that like that deal probably scared them a bit. And, and I think it scared Cubs fans off a bit from wanting to hand out a mega contract in free agency because it just did it. it There's no way that that the life of that contract, um, there, the, sorry, the value of that contract was recouped uh, just from the fact of like the production on the field. But Hayward was obviously still a very good player, and 
Um, but that money spent, you know, it impacted other other payrolls and other rosters and stuff for years after that. And, and just obviously still this year because he's still under contract through the end of this season. So the Cubs are paying him even if he's has a minor league deal with the Dodgers. So to be honest, I, I guess just my takeaway overall is like, it seems like Jed has a very big picture approach. I don't know what the conversations are like between him and, and you know, ownership or anything else, but it seems to me that it's a guy who doesn't feel desperate to like do something right now because he knows that he'll have money in the future and he's not trying to hurt next year or years after to just try to win this year. He has said all along that he has one eye on the future and one eye on the present. And it certainly seems like a guy that's operating that way because, you know, why would you sign Cody Bellinger to a one-year deal if you didn't care about the present? Obviously he does, you know, but that being said, like he's not going to try to screw the franchise over for 10 years from now either. So that's that's just what I see as a guy looking very big picture, both he and Carter Hawkins. Right, and, and, and those types of guys understand the finances a lot more and better than I do. Um, it's just, I guess, as a Cubs fan, speaking for the fan base here, it's tough to watch all these other teams around you in your league, in your division even, you know, spending this money, getting better. Obviously, the money might bite them at some point, but on paper, these are better teams than they were a week ago. And, and I don't think the Cubs are a better team than they were at the beginning of this offseason. I, I do, honestly, just because they didn't really lose anybody. Like, obviously, Wilson, sure. Right, that's and, what I was not, thinking. I guess they're, they're a better pitching staff, and I don't think the lineup is much better. I don't think the lineup is a ton better either. You're essentially replacing Cody Bellinger with Wilson Contreras from what the end of the season looked like. You know, Fran Ray has played a big role in the team in the last couple months of the year, but, you know, didn't hit very well. And for a guy who can't play a position, I mean, it was understandable why the Cubs moved on from him. I do think that there are still guys out there like ancillary pieces that can help at first base or DH or even, you know, um, can help it in the catcher market. Like, I think there are other pieces to the lineup, and I fully expect the Cubs to add some of those ancillary pieces. I don't think they're going to go into next season with, uh, you know, Matt Mervis and Alfonso Rivas as the DH and first base combo. And, and they might, but, like, I, I would bet that they don't. And I, I don't think that, like, Jan Gomes and P.J. Higgins are the two catchers. I imagine that they had add some more depth there. And the bullpen-wise, I think they're going to add several guys on one-year deals and we've seen how that can be successful from david robertson to michael givens to chris martin to ryan tapera and andrew chafin like that has worked out really well for the cubs in the past there's no guarantee it'll work out well in the future but i think that they like that model they like some of the arms they have already that can be relievers especially when you if you factor in guys like keegan thompson or uh ever or even like uh, hayden wesneski or adrian sampson in the bullpen so i do think that that they're in a good spot. The one thing that uh, I would say looking at this Cubs roster, like one, the lineup needs more for sure, but two, they just need more depth. If, if injuries strike in pretty much any facet, except maybe the starting rotation, I think the Cubs are in a world of hurt, but that's right now. The the season's not starting tomorrow and there's still plenty of time to acquire depth, uh, depth pieces for this roster. So I think that that's, that's what they're going to be looking to do. But like we said, there's still the potential to add game-changing bats. And I think every offseason, it's so easy to evaluate. But there are contracts every year where you're like, wow, I can't believe that guy was on the market for so long. Or, you know, oh, I can't believe that uh, that this guy didn't get paid that much. Like, for example, J.D. Martinez is out there as a free agent. 
I, he doesn't have a robust market, but we've seen this guy put up triple crown level numbers. Would it be so stunning to see him do that again next year? So even though he's an under the radar type guy, there's moves like that that could pay huge dividends. So and also like winning the offseason doesn't always translate to winning in the in the regular season. Obviously, at this point, like we said, the Cubs are not necessarily winning the offseason and a lot of other teams that have got these star players. They are. Uh, but I guess we'll see on the field. And, and the Cubs feel very confident about some pieces of their roster and also acknowledge the fact that they just need more. They need more depth. They need more star power. They need more thump in the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's shift gears now to the to the one shortstop that is left of that elite class. Uh, obviously, Correa, Trey Turner, and Bogarts have signed. Who's left? It's Dansby Swanson. Now, I've done a little bit of research based on reports of, of teams that are, are looking for shortstops. Um, and this is who I have left in the Dansby Swanson market. Looking for a shortstop, the Cubs, the Yankees, and the Cardinals lost a shortstop, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, and the Twins. And then the Braves are in that category too, either looking or lost, depending on what happens with Swanson. Yeah, I think there are definitely still like teams that are interested. Um, I would be hard-pressed to see the Cardinals like going on a big deal uh, to acquire a guy like James B. Swanson after handing out you know a contract to Wilson Contreras and obviously just other contracts they have, like they're paying Goldschmidt and, and Arenado a bunch of money as well. That being said, maybe they will. I don't know their financial situation. But, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think there are definitely plenty of teams out there that could be in the mix. Again, the Yankees are another team that have already paid a ton of money, and like the, if they sign Swanson, they'd have to start creeping closer to like the Mets, you know, luxury tax threshold and, and payroll than than a lot of other teams in the league. So I, we'll see. We'll see how it, it comes about. Um, and, you know, I do know Danzy Swanson's wife plays for the Chicago Red Stars, and everybody loves that connection. But that's all, that is important to people to like uh, to be close to their family. And you know, he's on his honeymoon now, and he just got married, and like that is a big deal. I, I don't know, you know, if the money or the years aren't quite the same or another organization offers him an opportunity or he really wants to go back home to Atlanta, you know, where he was, uh, he came up and obviously turned into a star. Sure, maybe that, that works out and that takes precedent over whatever the Cubs offered. I, I don't know that all for sure how it's going to play out, but uh, but I do think that the Cubs have a very good shot at it. Um, I don't... I. I I think unless somebody comes out and gives a Giants type contract, or what the Padres did with Bogarts, or even what the Phillies have done with Turner, those are all crazy deals that I didn't fully think was going to come to fruition, either on length or on the total value of the deal. I don't know that there's anybody left in the market to do that right now. There might be, and, and you know, I was surprised the Padres even did that to Bogarts, but uh, but I don't know if there's a team desperate enough to do that right now. As we're sitting here, I, I have a hard time like putting my finger on who that might be. So I do think that that gives the Cubs some decent chances here. Um, but like we said, too, they're going to have to pay the price of gas, and they're going to have to do so for a guy who has performed pretty well you know, overall in his career and is a very good defender. But um, it, he has one all-star appearance and one gold glove, and he doesn't have the same kind of star power as some of the other guys uh so i do think there is some level of risk to it um but that being said like he's supposedly a great leader and great intangibles and you know having him and nico up the middle seems like a fantastic idea in general for a lot of pitchers want to pitch in front of that so we'll see what what happens what plays out um to be honest i do think that there's reason for cubs to be optimistic that this could work out and the cubs could still end up with dansby swanson 
Gotcha. That was going to be my next question. Do you think the Cubs get him, and what do you think that deal ends up looking like now that he's kind of the one that teams are desperate for? Yeah, it is a good question. Um, if I had to decide whether they get him or not, I'm going to say, yeah, I, I do think they, they will. I do think that the Cubs have money to spend and went into this season, this offseason, wanting to spend it, wanting to add to the roster, knowing that the best way to do so was to add with some of the star shortstops. So I, I do think that they can get him. Obviously, that isn't always how it plays out, and I've been pretty surprised, and uh, some of these contracts have already been unpredictable. So what I predict won't necessarily come to fruition, but I do think that they will get him. I don't know what the deal would look like. If At the beginning of the offseason, I thought somewhere in the 160 to 180 range made more sense for him. Now that I've seen what the other deals are, I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't get at least $200 million, uh, just based off the, what the rest of the market is. But who knows? Maybe the Cubs offer him you know, four years at $180 million versus eight years at $200 million, whatever it is. I don't know exactly, right? But like, maybe the Cubs take on a shorter deal and higher annual value. Uh, or maybe they just give him a little bit longer than some other teams will, or the overall money is. It's It really is just an absolutely crazy and unpredictable market right now. I would expect Danzer Swanson, just based off of everything else, to probably land around the $200 million range and, I don't know, maybe somewhere like, like six, seven, eight years. Like eight years would be $25 million a year. That seems pretty pretty standard for the type of player he is and what he brings to the team as like a 5-6 war player. So, um uh, yeah, I guess I'll probably say something around that, but I, I don't think it'll be less than $200 million at this point. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say at least $200 million, and the way some of the other shortstops are getting paid, I was going to guess somewhere 8 to 10-ish years. I feel like 10 would be um, – like if he got 10 for you know 225 I think a lot of people would be shocked by it. Um, so maybe like an 8-year, $200 million deal, and I don't think especially lined up with some of the other ones that that looks like an overpay – at the beginning. Yeah, I, I don't think it would. And $25 million a year is is a really reasonable value. I mean, this, like we said, with Swanson in specific, like he had 5.7 war last year. He was a really, really good player, all-star, gold glove, finished 12th in MVP voting. But prior to that, he had never put together a three-war year. So I think there's some maybe concern or, or trepidation about that. But just, you know, the guy the, the guy was a, obviously a very highly thought of pick and prospect. Um, he was one overall, right? I think the Diamondbacks took him, like, first overall. Yep, from Vandy. So, yeah, right. So, like, he's he's a guy that has won a lot. He has been around winning. Uh, people rave about him in the game. He's a leader. He's a guy that posts up. Like, he hasn't missed a game pretty much for the last couple of years. I, th- I think he has played every single game possible or at least, like, ladder tied for league lead in games played from the shortened season on so uh he's out there all the time he, he plays fantastic defense runs the bases really well has shown some power you know hits for a decent average like he's a pretty solid all-around player and honestly he's a guy he looks like like nico horner who's more established and with more power so you tell that to cubs fans like they would sign up for that in a heartbeat right, right. and they'd sign up for that at, at 25 million dollars on a roster that definitely has some financial flexibility and room to pay that i think a lot of people would sign up for that probably the cubs included so and, and maybe Dansby himself again i don't mm-hmm. know his motivations but um i think there's a lot of a lot of tea leaves and a lot of things that would make a ton of sense for it to work out 
Um, but that being said, if somebody offers $230 million over 10 years or whatever it is, maybe he winds up taking that. And maybe with a Cubs offer, even though it's very reasonable and would make a lot of sense, it still might pale in comparison to what some desperate team um, or some, you know, like a, just a crazy contract that we've seen already in this market. He could get one of those still, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and before I let you go, I just want to talk about um, some of the other players available and whether or not you think the Cubs end up um, signing any of these guys, because I feel like they would supplement some of the holes the Cubs have on the roster. Um, so I'll just list some of these names. Uh, Omar Narvaez, Trey Mancini, Andrew Benintendi, Joey Gallo, Michael Conforto, Carlos Rodon, and Nathan Ivaldi. Yeah, yeah, I think... Omar Narvaez is a guy that could obviously make sense. He's a left-handed bat uh, for, you know, veteran catcher who has had some, posted some, like, solid defensive numbers lately uh, after that being, like, kind of a question mark in his career. I think he could certainly be an option. I really have no idea what his market would be. <laughs> Anything I thought about what the market may be, again, <laughs> I'm completely confused, or I think it's just totally unpredictable now. So I don't really know what some of these guys might end up getting. Um, but yeah, you know, to see a lot of these big, big names off the board already, a lot of these ancillary pieces will probably be more realistic. And the deal Christian Vasquez just got, I think it was like $30 million for three years. That seems very, very fair for him, for a really good defensive catcher who has some upside offensively. So I think, you know, we'll see probably more reasonable markets for that. So I do think a guy like him or even Trey Mancini, like, it's a guy who hit 30 homers a few years ago and has uh, was really a, a huge piece at the trade deadline that a lot of teams were talking about. And his value is just plummeted just because he didn't hit very well down the stretch for his first time with a new team with the Astros. So I, I think he's still a guy that he's not Jose Abreu. He's not going to move the needle in Chicago like that. But he's a guy that could be a very valuable piece to them if they went that route at first base or at DH and really help bring some stability and some vet a veteran presence to the lineup. So, but there's a lot of guys like that, you know, Michael Brantley and, and Michael Conforto are out there could do the same. And the Cubs have a DH spot that's wide open. And I, you know, you could totally see them rotating outfielders even and, and having guys like Hat Bellinger and, and Suzuki take a, a half day off at DH and, uh, and, put a guy like Conforto or Brantley or somebody else out there as well. So there are options out there that will definitely make this Cubs lineup better. I expect them to sign, you know, one or two of those guys and, and maybe more than that, if they do miss out on Dansby Swanson, but let's see what this looks like overall, right before we go to spring training, see what the catching depth is, see what the lineup looks like fully. Um, and then, yeah, see just in general, but pitching staff wise, you mentioned Rodon. I think, I think the Cubs are probably good with their starting rotation as is now. They have depth. They want to see what guys like Hayden Wesnanski can do, Javier aside. Uh, and then, you know, see if a guy like Adrian Sampson is legit and for real. And, and obviously assuming, and I think they're hopeful that Kyle Hendricks comes back to health. So I, I think they're pretty good on the rotation front. I imagine they'll probably sign some shorter term deals to veterans in the relief market and then, uh, and then see what happens from there um, with a lot of their pitching infrastructure that took this huge jump forward in 2022. So assuming they have, uh, they continue down that path and there's not a bunch more injuries. I think the Cubs feel very, very good about their, their long-term state of their pitching staff. Oh yeah, this has been a kind of a total flip from the way 
Um, Theo and Jed ran things. That was kind of a, a hitter strong farm system and infrastructure. Now you can tell the priority is on the pitching side and the run prevention side, preventing side. So that's um, definitely something I think that they're confident in. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, there's more guys on the way too, like Ben Brown and they acquired last year at the deadline and uh, Caleb Killian. So there's plenty of time to turn things around and um, some of these other guys, Ryan Jensen, they protect in the Rule 5 draft. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how uh, how some of these guys uh, continue to ascend. Uh, Jeremiah Estrada is another one in the bullpen, could end up playing a huge role. So but I'm definitely curious to see if the pitching staff takes another leap forward, uh, if they can avoid some major injuries and, and see what they what they can do you know, next season and see if just to prove that 2022, it was not a mirage in any way and that like this pitching staff is they've definitely found something that can be sustainable in terms of growth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tony, that's all I got for you. Always love chatting. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Of course, as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill and available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.